0: My name is Sarah Vioso. In May of 2020, I was diagnosed with glioblastoma, the most aggressive type of brain cancer known. This is my spiritual journey of completely surrendering to God's will while healing my soul through His grace. Welcome to Surviving Fear. Episode 19, Marriage. So I wanted to talk about marriage because I was given, like I've talked about, you know, my, in some of my previous episodes is, you know, the perspective I was given and we were given, my family was given because of my diagnosis was remarkable, you know, and it's sad to think that it took the Glioblastoma diagnosis for me to be able to gain that perspective. Trust me, if you have not had anything traumatic like this come into your life, try to change your perspective without having all the pain that comes with it. Um, I don't, I wouldn't change the pain for anything. But if you can do it without having to be diagnosed with cancer, awesome. I know we can't control cancer. I mean, we can the best you know through stress management, through diet as much as you can. But sometimes it's a luck of the draw kind of thing. And my perspective changed, as I've talked about, when I got diagnosed, because all of a sudden everything was very clear. Priorities lined up very quickly. And one of the things that we dealt with that sometimes we take for granted is our marriage or our relationships. I did. I'm actually coming up on my 18th wedding anniversary with my husband. We, this year, will be together for 20 years. You know, the whole dating and engaged thing and then 18 years of marriage. And I will tell you, this diagnosis and what we have been through really made our marriage shine. You know, just like any other you you couple, you may, I mean, maybe you've never been married. Maybe you're in a serious relationship. Maybe you've been married and now you're separated or you're divorced and marriage is not easy. Relationships are not easy. There are all kinds of things that can, I don't want to say get in the way, but that can make it difficult. Um. I mean, I, would love to say, I we've been happily married for 18 years. No, we've had some rough patches. It's not normal if you don't. I mean, I shouldn't say that. That's not nice. Some people manage to work it out much calmer. But when you have a feisty Italian for a wife, I mean, I'm emotional. My feelings get hurt. Sometimes I take things way too uh, too personally. I take things way too seriously. Sometimes my moods swing up and down and... You know, sometimes I get frustrated. I'm not the best communicator. And we dealt with all this stuff. And I'm only speaking for myself because i it's not fair for me to speak for my husband. Um, but anybody that's been in a relationship, I mean, I've had lots of failed relationships, lots of boyfriends that didn't work out. Um, its It's difficult. And then when you're put into this position... When you promise sickness and in health, and when you are in sickness, it's amazing how that significant other has a chance to shine. Um, I, when things aren't working out, and I think it's a, when you're having a hard time, sometimes we tend to take that hard time out on the people we love the most. And I tried to, and I did not do it successfully, but I tried to not take my frustrations with my diagnosis out on my family and on my friends. And sometimes I would like, I'd snap at my kids. I'm guilty. I would snap at my husband. I would cry when he tried it. He was saying something, that was joking and immediately instead of giving the benefit of the doubt that I knew he was joking, I immediately got my feelings hurt and cried. I mean, even having a new perspective, we're still human and we still can do that. And I, I you know, there was a lot of hurt that happened because of that. And I, I take full responsibility, but there was also, I got to fall in love again. And remember why I married my husband And why we fell in love. Like that's a gift. Like when you're faced with, okay. Your transition from this earth is eminent. It's going to happen. But when it's kind of put in your face that it's going to happen quite possibly much sooner than you anticipated. Everything comes into focus quickly. And I woke up every morning after that. With a smile on my face when my husband was there. Because he's a firefighter. He's not always home. And you get all the stuff. All the stuff that doesn't matter kind of just blows away. And you're just left with what's important. And it was very easy to see. You know, watch my husband step up. Because, you know, my husband's gone a lot and I'm home. And... I stay at home for my kids, you know, and I have been able now for us to remember why we fell in love because now my husband was the main caretaker when I was in treatment. Not only was he taking care of our kids and, you know, taking care of his family, but he's taking care of me. And that's a whole new role because I, I... I love helping, but I do not accept help well. And to watch my husband take that role on with such a grace and love and tenderness was a gift, is a gift. And even now that I'm feeling better and my diagnosis is more positive than what it was in the beginning, we still get into frustrations, especially when you throw kids in the mix. Oh dear goodness. Um, like agreeing on the way you should handle one situation or another or schedules for your kids or, you know, there's a lot of discussion. We finally, it took us a while, but we finally got to the point where it was, I don't, my standard answer to my kids are, I need to talk to dad. And it's not because I need my husband's permission to do what's going on. It's a respect for my husband that we do everything jointly. Or if they ask me something, have you asked dad this already? Those are my standard answers because the one thing that we have learned is we are a united front with our children. And it's I make that sound like we're we're this... We're fighting this battle against these heathens, but that's not what it is at all. It's a respect thing, just like my husband respects me. It's that he doesn't ask me for permission, but he's like, hey, is it do you mind if I go play around the golf tomorrow morning? Um, hey, you know, Adam asked me this. What do you think about it? It's that we're coming together and working things, handling our family things together as a united front. Because we want to make it very clear, our marriage comes first. I try to make it very clear to our children, my husband comes first. Your dad comes first in my life. Of course, he's not the first, just like I'm not the first in his life. God is number one. Our relationship with God individually comes first. Our marriage comes second. And that's important. That's an important thing. You have to respect your spouse's relationship with God. That has to come first. You're gifted your spouse. You're gifted for your significant other. You're gifted your children by God. So your relationship with him comes first. He understands that after that, there are things you you need to nurture like your marriage, your children, your family, your relationships. Like those need to be nurtured. But God's relationship needs to get, be number one in your life. I mean, if you have a spouse that maybe isn't there right now spiritually, and that can be difficult, that can be difficult if you're in different spiritual places, you be the light for them you be the example. You show them prayers that have been answered. You show them your positive attitude. Sit down and read the Bible together. Like we do that with our kids. Our kids, we sit down and pray together every night. We talk about the good, the bad, you know, what's concerning. Um, We talk about times when our feelings got hurt or maybe and I apologize. Like, I use that time to apologize. I reflect on my day. I'm like, you know what? I'm really sorry. I th- flew off the handle. I shouldn't have done that. You know, that speaks volumes. You know, the other challenge that we see, because my husband and I, and if you do this, please don't think, I think I, I have no opinion of it. My husband and I choose in our marriage not to make public displays of declarations on social media for each other. I will not write on social media, happy anniversary to the most amazing man in my life, just because that's a choice that we make. Some people do that and that helps fuel their marriage and I think that's fantastic. Paul and I choose not to do that. We actually choose, those are words that we say to each other in private when we're having discussions, you know, through actions, through like my husband came home yesterday with flowers. Generally, I don't get flowers. I just, and it's, it's not because he's not thinking of me. I don't think he does loves me less if I don't get flowers a lot. It was just, he brought me flowers and it was just a nice way to, you know, say hello. For me, the greatest I love you is when I come home and the laundry is folded and waiting for me and all I have to do is put away my laundry. He's already taken care of it. Like nothing says I love you than laundry completed to me. Just those little moments. So I just feel like like my friend Gail, who I love dearly, she taught me that she taught me the saying that love is in the details. And that's how we choose to, because I sometimes I feel like social media, yes, it can be a fantastic tool. There's I mean, heck, I'm using it right now to talk to you guys, but Social media can also be very scary to me. Um, it can fuel your insecurities. It can fuel anger. It can fuel jealousy. It can fuel fear. And I've talked about this before, but sometimes I feel like social media can be just a playground for Satan I feel like he can use the insecurities that we're putting up out there and use them against us. And so that's why I'm very careful about what we share about our relationship, even though I'm sitting here telling you about it on a podcast. But I'm very careful about what we put out there when we choose to write about each other out there. And that helps us. And maybe it helps your relationship if you do put it out there. Maybe that's your spouse's or your significant other's love language. And there's, you know, the five, there's five love, love languages. There's a book about it. I, um, I read it. I can't remember the title of it or the author, so I'm sorry. Um, but it's how what not everybody feels loved the same way is what it boils down to. Some people like, um, Action like gestures. Some people need it written. Some people need physical. Like that's how they feel loved. Um, some people need. Um, oh gosh, sorry. I'm. But it, it, everybody has a different way that they are feel. Lo- they feel loved. So some people, that's what they need. They need that public display of "I love you" on social media, and that's great, and that's okay for us. That does, that's not it, but. Just be careful with social media. And I just throw that out there because it can also be, it can be amazing. And I mean, there have been amazing things I've talked about that have happened to us because of social media, but it can also be destroying. Like I watch what my kids deal with and I watch that, you know, they're not invited to a party, but that party's on social media and they get to see it. They get to see that they, a great party that went on, but they didn't happen. That they weren't invited to. It hurts as adults, too. That hurts your feelings as adults. So, I mean, that's just my two cents on that. I don't want to go too much further into that. But just think about that. You are, just remember, you're perfect in his eyes. You're perfect in his eyes. And the same things God wants to excel at, the way we nourish our relationship with God through time, spending time with him by talking to him, by being honest with him and communicating with him. That's what also makes a strong marriage. And that's one thing that we work on, and we wanted to make sure our marriage was strong. And I'll tell you what, it has never been stronger. That's another gift that's come out of this diagnosis. Is the re- I don't want to say the marriage reset because we were in a good place, but were we in the best place we could be? No. I don't know if anybody can actually really say that. And even now we've like toned back a little bit, you know, life is kind of returning to normal for us. So we have to, you know, where COVID is opening up, the world is opening up, we can do things again and we still, we have to, you know, get the kids where they need to go and do these things, but we still return to each other just like he always wants us to return to him. We make sure that we, you know, have a good moment, just the two of us, every day, whether it's a hug, whether it's cleaning the kitchen, whether it's, an I love you with the kiss before we go to bed. You always have that and you nurture that. Remember, God first, marriage second, kids third. That is important. At least that's the way we choose to do it and it works for us. Now, I want to... Switch for just a second, sorry, I'm sitting on the floor in the closet so you don't have to hear my kids on in the background on their video games and they're loud and laughing. Um, I had a very spiritual connection with of all people a phlebotomist, and my phlebotomist name was Carlos, and the reason why I'm such friends, good friends with my phlebotomist is because at one point in time I was getting multiple blood draws a week regularly for probably the first seven months of my treatment. Um, So yeah, my veins are actually holding up strong. There's a lot of scar tissue, so blood draws a little bit more painful than they used to be, but that's okay. I will take it because that tells my doctors, you know what? That tells me the best way to treat me and what we need to take care of and what we need to adjust, so I'm grateful for it. But Carlos was this man, I would put Carlos probably in his late fifties, early sixties. And when I met him for the first time, the first time he drew my blood, I had a hat on and I wear my hat all the time. And it's my faith over fear hat. When I got diagnosed and I had adopted the faith over fear as the way I was going to, the way I was going to heal from this cancer, I wore my hat all the time. I have all different colors. People started bringing them on my doorstep, and I love them all, and I wear them all, and I rotate them, and I coordinate them with my outfits, and they just make me happy. Carlos saw my hat. I go in. I love my, my, my football. My lab team is awesome. Like I missed them when I stopped having to get lab so often. I was like, oh, I don't go get to see my peeps. I love my blood peeps. And... I would always get excited to see who I was going to get. And I was getting Carlos quite frequently. And I looked at Carlos and Carlos had very soulful eyes. Just soulful. Soulful. Just very gentle and comforting. And he saw my hat. And he asked me when he saw my hat, he said, do you have faith? Kind of stopped me in my tracks because I get real, I get real nervous when I'm getting a blood draw. I don't know why you think I'd be good now. I mean, I know what's coming. I know what it's going to feel like. And I, so I get nervous. I start talking a thousand miles an hour and Carlos asked me a very simple question. He asked me, do you have faith? And I answered him, I do. I have, I feel like I, I have I feel like I have a lot of faith. And he said, no, you don't need a lot of faith. You only need faith the size of a mustard seed. And I know that reference shows up in the Bible quite a bit. And the reason why they use a mustard seed, because the mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds on earth yet it grows into one of the largest plants on earth. And that's why I find it very interesting that Carlos said that to me. And he said it in such a way, I mean, I it was almost like a prophet was saying it or Yoda was saying it to me because he just said, you only need faith the size of a mustard seed. And I think that's what people... People think that when you're coming to faith, because some people, they never have, they don't have religion in their lives. They don't have Christianity in their lives. And sometimes it can seem intimidating. It can seem intimidating and overwhelming when you see somebody that is so faithful. It was for me. Sometimes I was turned off by it before I had this whole experience that I've been having. It was something that turned me off because it was intimidating. I know not, I didn't know a lot about it and I didn't know scriptures, so I kind of, instead of like diving in and trying to learn, I kind of just pulled away from it. And that's why Carlos said, you only need faith the size of a mustard seed. Because once you have it, and once you truly have that faith and that connection with God, it will grow. It will grow. If you will even just entertain it for just a moment and think about it just a little bit each day, the more you do it, the more it grows and the more you'll want to learn and the more you'll want to connect and the more you'll want to reach out, the more you're going to want to shine light and reflect light. And once you have that, I don't want to call it a bug, but once you have that spirit within you, you can't help but share it. That's why I'm sitting here right now talking to you on a podcast because I can't help but want people to have this in their lives because I want you to all go where I'm going, which I know I'm going to heaven. I know it. I was uncertain before this happened to me, before I was diagnosed with glioblastoma, before I had brain cancer. I would like to say, oh, that's where I hope I end up. Now I know that's where I'm going because I've dove headfirst into scripture, into devotionals, into learning more, into listening to other people's podcasts, to listening to um, inspirational music and listening to Christian music. I dove in headfirst. But you don't have to do it that way. You start with just that mustard seed and you let it grow. You nurture it and you let it grow. And it'll be amazing What you'll learn and how you'll feel and how the fear just melts away. You know, you never know who will come into your life and inspire you and make you feel loved. But sometimes it can be a person like Carlos, a phlebotomist, who taught me about having the faith the size of a mustard seed and what it could do for your life. Thank you all for listening. I am Sarah Vioso, and I'll see you at the next episode of Surviving Fear. Surviving Fear is made possible by the efforts of our executive producer, J.T. Henderson, writer and director, Sarah Vioso, producer and editor, Kristen Walker, artistic creator, Laura Ritchie, graphic editor, Linda Lee, and musical artist and composer, Adam Vioso.